Well, I'm excited as we gather once again as the Christ Journey family, not only here in South Florida, but across the nation, around the world, to all those joining us through Church Online. And uh, we greet you in the name of the God for whom nothing is impossible, nothing is too hard for God, and we invite his blessing upon you today. Now, I, um, one night, a, a talk show host was interviewing a group of bodybuilders. And I mean, these guys are bulked up. They've got must, you know, their must, their muscles have muscles, if you know what I mean. And uh, and the host just asked them a very simple question: What do you use all those muscles for? And one guy responded by striking a pose. You know, he says, "No, no, you misunderstand me. I mean, what do you use your muscles for?" He said, "I'll show you." Struck another pose. I said, no, 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 you you really, you're not understanding me. Read my lips. What do you use your muscles for? And the guy strikes another pose. Um, So no disrespect to bodybuilders because, I mean, the, the, the incredible discipline it takes to develop such physiques. Okay, so no disrespect there, but I think what the, uh, what the host was trying to get at is this. Now that you're all powered up, now that you've got muscles on your muscles, you are obviously a people of great strength. So what are you applying your strength toward? What do you use all your muscles for? It's kind of like Spider-Man. You know, Spider-Man's got a slogan. You know what it is? With great power comes Yeah, great responsibility. It's like, okay, so now you're powered up. Now, what do you do with your muscles? Now, if you're a Christian, that question deserves to be answered of you. If you are exploring faith today or you're seeking, you know, you're kind of, you're not inside really. You wouldn't say I'm a believer, but uh, then I want to invite you to listen in because what I want to do is talk to Christ followers today. To those of us who say we are Christians, okay, because Christian, by definition, I want to ask you this, what do you do with all your power? What do you do with all your muscles? Because Christian, by definition, means that you consider yourself the object of God's love, God's personal love, that you are a recipient of undeserved mercy, of unconditional grace, that God has chosen to forgive you of all of your sins, past, present, future, by the finished work of Jesus Christ's atonement on the cross. And now God, by the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. You know, I mean, this is what we say as Christ followers. This is who you are. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive and abiding inside of you by God's choice. Now, and then, so God decided, decisions, decisions, God decided to call you, to love you, to invite you, to come to know you personally through the forgiveness of sin and the fullness of the Spirit's power. God decided to give you his Bible as a tool to, for directing you and correcting you and protecting you in life through your decision-making. And he's given you his church as a team for, um, for connecting you in deeper growth in spiritual experience, spiritual development, your spiritual bodybuilding team is the church. You know, the church in the Bible is even called the body of Christ. And then we are called as Christ followers to build up the body of Christ. Use your gift to strengthen the body. Okay, so here's the thing. 
If a talk show host had you on a night show, or maybe somebody just comes up to you on the street and says, hey, what do you use all those muscles for? What would you say? Would you say, yeah, hey, you like them? Don't they look good? Right? It looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, but, but what do you use them for? Um, so you can look good. Nice halo. The glow really fits you well. You know, all that we just talked about, right? Or is, would you say it's mostly for your personal benefit? Would you say, well, to feel good. It helps me feel good. It's like this, you know, I feel better about myself. You know, God loves me, so I love me too. <laughs> that makes me feel better, feel good. And I'm saying, you know, God, God definitely wants you to feel better about yourself. I'm not saying that. And if you have experienced the good news of God's love in Christ, it happens. But is that the ultimate reason for the power? I, uh, I remember a story of a woman who's playing cards with some of her friends and they're telling stories and they were chatting over the game and she told them of the time that she was on a sidewalk and right there in front of her, she witnesses this horrible car wreck. I mean, there's the screeching of tires and there's a crunching of metal and there's the shatter of glass and her friends are sitting forward saying, what did you do, what did you do? She said, well, just like that, my first aid training came back to me, so I sat down on the curb, put my head between my legs and I didn't even faint. Oh, good for you, right? It's like, yeah, first aid. And I'm not criticizing those who use the gospel for their own personal benefit. I'm one of them. God wants us to. We're supposed to use the medicine to treat our needs. We're supposed to love ourselves. It's even in the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yes, we're supposed to love ourselves. But when God's love muscles up your heart, you know what I've discovered? It's way bigger than myself. God's vision for Christ followers, here's how I understand it, is for you to live a life of impact, making a difference because of his love in and through you for others. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus is very clear about this. He says, I tell you the truth. Now, whenever he says that, it's like you're coming to a railroad crossing and the gates are coming down and the lights are flashing and the bells are dinging. And Jesus is like saying, pay attention. Listen, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me, you say you're a believer? Okay, here's what Jesus says. Will do what I have been doing and he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now that was before the crucifixion and the resurrection, but he didn't back off afterwards. I mean, on the day of his ascension, when he's lifting off beyond their eyes, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 says, they're now 11 Disciples, not 12. Why? Well, because Judas, abusing decision in his fateful decision, has removed himself from the picture. Your decisions matter. Well, now the 11 have gone to a mountain where Jesus said, Go to the mountain and uh, wait. So they've gone to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And Matthew, observation, he says, Some are worshiping and some are doubting. It's kind of like church on Sunday, you know? There's, some are worshiping 
And some of us are doubting. That's what was happening there. And, and then Jesus tells them, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples, learners of all nations. Ethnos is the original word, ethnic groups. This means every people group, every language group, don't leave anybody out and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, if you're about that business, then I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here's what I'm seeing. Jesus is envisioning this group of ragtag ne'er-do-wells. You know, I mean, he's got some uneducated fishermen. He's got a tax collector. He's got some others that we don't even remember their names. And what he's saying is, you're my world changers. You have global influence. Now, probably to a man, they'd never even been out of their own country. Uh, they'd been to Samaria with Jesus and they were uncomfortable the whole time. And now Jesus is saying, I'm sending you to all nations, every different kind of people, every ethnos. Acts chapter one, verse eight reinforces, it quotes Jesus saying this, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, yes, your city, your nation, Judea, and then Samaria and the ends of the earth. And then it says, just like that, he's lifting off before their very eyes into a cloud in the heavens. I'm wondering, what do you think they did next? I'm thinking, did anybody say, did he say ends of the earth? <laughs> did he say ends of of the earth? I don't know. I don't know. Peter and John were a little bit closer. Let's ask them. So here's Jesus' vision. World changers, global influencers. Is that what you heard? Now listen, no escaping it. Christ follower. You consider yourself a Christian, a Christ follower. If you're a follower of Christ, part of his plan is for you to do your part in helping others find and follow him, including your enemies the Samaritans in your life. Jews, Jesus said, when I want you to go to Samaria, you know, the Jews and the Samaritans had a 400-year-old feud that had been fuming in them with resentment and contempt and hatred. And when Jesus went through Samaria, oh my goodness, you know, they, they did not welcome him on one occasion. And so his disciples, James and John said, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them up? I mean, it's in there. Luke chapter nine. Let's just wipe them out. Let's just mow them down. If that's how they're gonna treat us, then here's what we ought to do. And Jesus rebukes them. Luke chapter nine, verse 54. And now here, listen, we're, he's on the other side of the resurrection, lifting off, and here's what he says. In fact, I want you to let my love push you beyond your comfort zone beyond your borders, into lives of expanding impact. What are you going to use all those muscles for? Jesus says, I've got something for you. Decisions, decisions. We've seen how God in this series, he's designed our lives to find meaning through decisions that matter. Decisions that matter now and forever. And that God calls us to make choices in our daily lives that have consequences. Some of our decisions determine destinies, even eternities. 
And one of them, the choice to respond to his invitation of love in Christ and then know him in the forgiveness of sin and the fullness of salvation as he muscles us up by grace to do what? To make a difference in the world or to do in how? How? He says, I want you in the world making the kind of decisions that do good for the world. This is my take on it. Don't just look good. Don't just feel good for yourself as an individual. But I want you to be about doing good for others. So that could be the summary of the whole talk that I'm giving right now. Don't settle for looking good, believer. Don't settle for feeling good. Use the power of your decision to do some good in a way that helps somebody else find and follow Christ, help them experience love and truth from God. So in other words, husbands, I want you to do good for your wives. That's what Jesus says. Wives, I want you doing good for your husbands. This is what must, you're all muscled up, what for? Well, parents, I want you doing good for your kids. And children, I want you doing good for your parents. Businesses, I want you doing good for the marketplace, for your clients, for your customers. And those of you who frequent businesses, customers, I want you doing good in the way that you interact So that everybody's got, wherever you go, good is happening. This is is how I see what Jesus is saying. When you go to school, school administrators, educators, security guards, do good for those under your care. Students, use your opportunity of education to do some good in school. That's, That's how it spills out. And this wasn't the first time that he said it. Jesus said from the beginning of his ministry, you're the light of the world. He would talk to people just like us and say, you're the light of the world. I want you to let your light so shine before others that they will see your good deeds. And it's going to change their world. They will praise your father in heaven. You will help them open their understanding larger than simply this life, larger than themselves by doing good. Paul echoes the same thing. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. You know this, many of you do. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's a gift from God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. So good works don't earn us our salvation with God. Doing good doesn't make God like us or treat us better. (laughs) Salvation is his gift. But then, oh my goodness, look at verse 10. We are God's workmanship. He's gone to work on us. He's at work in us. God's my coach. God's my trainer. He's muscling me up by his grace. Why? So in Christ Jesus, you will do good works, which God prepared in advance to do. You're created for good works. Believer, as God is recreating his life in you, what is his vision for you? So you could feel good or look good. No, that's, that's part of it. But no, the, the real end game is do good. He wants, the world's in need for somebody who's going to do some good in it. And God's vision is for his kingdom to come alive in people who trust him, And then as we're working our way through our flaws and our failures and our stumblings and our sputterings, that the kingdom of God will come alive in us and then rise like a mighty river of healing living water that washes over us and then spills out in forgiveness and life-giving opportunities in every relationship that we have, including all of your life wherever you go in the world, that your life will have expanding impact that are personal and eternal, that are uh, deep and wonderful. That's why the titles for the series, Decisions, Decisions, have included these. Improving your decisions. Why? Well, increasing your return. Why? To expand your 
impact. That's why. To make kingdom significance and God's kind of difference along the way in the world. Bob Buford uh, is a successful businessman. He was an entrepreneur who made millions in Texas. And in midlife, his teenage son died. It was a a severe wake-up call to him where he started wondering, man, what is the point? Why am I alive? And then he wrote a book called Halftime. And the subtitle of the book was simply this, Moving from Success into Significance. I love that. Because that's Jesus' vision. Life is too important He's saying to my followers, for believers to settle for living lives merely of worldly success when God wants you to live a life of significance in eternal things as world changers for Christ. That's why I'm saying don't settle for looking good or feeling good. (laughs) Use the power of your decision to do some good. What do you use all those muscles for? All that good stuff God's brought into your life, what do you use it for? Hey, it looks pretty good, doesn't it? Feels good on my end, right? No, Jesus modeled it for his leaders. In Mark chapter three, he said, I've come to a hostile territory world. Mark chapter three, verse 27, he says, I'm moving into hostile, occupied enemy territory. I am moving into the strong man's house. Why? We're gonna set some people free. He's gonna do some good. In Luke chapter 10, he talks to his disciples again. He says, I have given you power over all the power of the enemy. What are you gonna do with those muscles, guys? He says, we're gonna set some people free. We're gonna go do some good so we can help others. Now, this is where our church's mission strategy and our multi-site strategy intersect with the teaching of Jesus. Multi-site strategy You know, right now we have campuses, we have three campuses toward a vision of five campuses toward 2020. And then beyond that, so that every person has opportunity to experience the life of God who doesn't bother to come within these walls, Christ wants us to push it out to bring it to where they are. This is what mission strategy is about. Multiplying, expanding impact person to person. And God's idea is uh, making is to make a big difference through a committed few. Doesn't take a whole lot. I mean, actually, he had 11, 12 that became 11, and then an additional 120 that met in an upper room for prayer, and then next thing you know, world changers. This was his vision. And there's a remarkable story of world changers from Israel's history as well that I want to use in his illustration today. Time of the judges. Now, the time of the judges, I mean, the nation is stuck in a downward cycle, a spiral that just looks like it's getting darker and worse every day. And there's rebellion toward God that spills out into moral anarchy in the nation. Everybody is living for the moment, what they can get, when they can get it, doesn't matter who suffers. And it says, the way that they summarize it is, quote, every man is doing what's right in his own eyes, close quote. That's a recipe for moral anarchy. And the cycle is that Israel's land at the time, uh, well, here's what happens. They get into trouble because of their rebellion against God. And then in trouble, they finally come to a point where they say, help, we can't keep on going this way. And then God responds to their prayers by sending a deliverer called a judge at that time until they decide to rebel again and the cycle continues, okay? Well, Judges chapter seven 
I really want to encourage you to read this for yourself. It won't take you that long, Judges 7 and 8. But I want to tell you the story from it, from the life of Gideon. Here's the situation at the time. Israel's enemies, the Midianites and the Amalekites, are uh, settled in the valley. Verse 12 says that they are thick as locusts, and their camels are so many that they, uh, they're, they're more than can be counted as the sand on the seashore. In other words, Israel, its land is occupied and they're way outnumbered by the enemy that is in their land. And, uh, and yet God tells Gideon, who to that point, simply a no name, that he was God's choice to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way for the nation of his day. And now Gideon is a very unlikely candidate. He responds right away, you know, who me? Like, Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really a nobody. My, my clan is the weakest clan in the tribe of Manasseh. And then in that clan, if you chase down the family tree, what you're going to discover, I'm the very least in the family. I'm like the runt of the litter, you know, the smallest acorn from the family tree. So what are you calling me for? And uh, like I said, it's an interesting story. I hope you read it yourself. But God confirms to Gideon, no, you're my choice. You're my choice, and, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the 32,000 soldiers that are potential warriors for Israel in this battle, and I want you to, uh, I, I'm telling you, there are too many men to fight because if, if they win, if I give you victory, then they're gonna think that they did it themselves. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell, go to your troops and tell them, everybody who's scared you can go home. Guess what? <laughs> 22,000 leave, just like that. Now he's got 10,000, and God tells him, okay, still too many, too many men. I want you to uh, take them down to the water, to the water's edge, and I want you to separate them by the way they drink from the water. Those who lap up water like dogs, you know, like just straight into their mouth, I want you to separate them, watch them and see. I want you to separate them from those who, who kneel down and lift the water to their lips like this. So Gideon does, and guess what? He finds out his number plummets another 9,700. Only 300 take water like dogs. And so now, uh, if you think that sounds, and so then God says, okay, good. Take the 300 and I will give you the victory over the Midianites. Now, if you think that sounds strange and crazy, then wait till you hear the battle plan because that's what comes next. Gideon divides them into three companies of 100 each. And each of these 100 companies, every person in it, every man is given a shofar, a ram's horn, trumpet, and then a clay jar, a pot, uh, that is going to be upended with a torch, a lighted torch fire inside it. Those are the weapons that they'll be using. And then he tells them, watch me and follow my lead. This is Gideon. When I get to the edge of the camp, the enemy camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all those who are with me blow our horns from all around the camp, blow yours and then shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So about 10 p.m., right after the enemy has changed guard for the night, Gideon acts. 
I mean, he blows his, they, his company blows theirs. Everybody in sequence now blowing their trumpets, smashing their pots, and holding their torches high. In fact, verse 20 says, grasping their torches in their left hands and their trumpets, their shofars in their right hands, then they shout, sword of the Lord and Gideon. But the funny thing is, they're not holding swords. What are they holding? Torch, trumpet, where's the swords? Only horns, pots, and torches. But holding their horns and their torches, guess what they do? They hold their positions around the camp. And while they're holding on to God in the fulfillment of his will, then the 300 have the enemy running. It says that they, they start fleeing, crying out, running for their lives. And once the 300 have got the Midianites on the run, then God does something that causes the enemy to draw their own swords and use them on each other. That's the story. And then as they're running, then Israel's reinforcements arrive, da 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 you know, and they not only rout them, they vanquish the enemy. Amazing story of a little group who hold on and a little guy who had lived his whole life being made to feel less than. The runt of the litter, the least of the family, the smallest baby boy, inferior, intimidated, invisible, you know, he's like the loser that you hear about who's been full of self-doubt for who knows how long, which is what his first answer is. I'm not your guy. But God says, no, I will be more than enough in your less than life and I will conquer through you. Now, sometimes we feel like that, don't we? I mean, we feel less than. The challenges come, the opposition rises, and the first thing we're reminded of is what we don't have. <laughs> I don't have the right position, I don't have the right title, I don't have the right training, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not connected enough, I'm not rich enough, I don't know whatever the not enough is, but we feel less than. And one of the ways that we euphemize that in our culture is we say, well, you know, we all have clay feet. You know what Paul says in the New Testament? He said, no, no, it's a lot worse than that. You're 100% clay. <laughs> it's not just your feet. You're all clay. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure. What is that? This amazing salvation that we have received by the grace of God that has muscled us up. We have this treasure where? In jars of clay. That's talking about our humanity. Our less than containers why? To show that this all-surpassing power isn't from us, it's from God. So God is gonna have to do this, it's gonna have to happen. Here's the point, God chooses to use our clay jar lives and puts his spirit of fire in us and says, essentially, now you let my light shine through your crackpot lives and follow my lead and sound off for me and I'll use you to change the world. Now, I'm telling you that to tell you this. Christ's journey. Members, Christians that are following him with me. Um, 
God wants us occupying new territory for him this year. The, many, the enemy has had it, God wants it. And uh, he's going to use us to release it. And the way God is going to do that is through expanding the impact of your lives in the same way that we obey his will as Gideon did. Now, one of the ways we talk about that around here, our mission strategy, our multi-site strategy, is that we're not waiting for people to come inside the walls. God wants us to expand the reach to create new opportunities beyond the walls. We have three campuses up. We want five by 2020. We're trusting God to empower us as we go to seize opportunities for him through new acquisitions. Now, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he wants it done. Why? People are dying. Lives are in the balance. Families are on the brink. Eternity is at stake. This resonates in our heart because God loves every single one, every single person. And then what we know is that God has his church here to make the difference. Every one of our campuses right now face a challenge that is requiring a Gideon's 300 size commitment. Did you know that? As the new year comes upon us, a people who will decide, don't settle for looking good or simply feeling good. Yeah, that's what Christianity's for. No, no, no. Don't settle for simply looking good or feeling good. No, use your power of decision to do some good in our world. Do some good on Sunset Drive. We have property out there. We know God wants that to be done there. Do we know how or when it's gonna happen? No, but what we know is he wants us to do some good on Sunset Drive. Do some good on Brickell Avenue. Does God want that to happen? Yes. Do some good on Miami Beach. We don't know where the next opportunity is going to rise up for another expanded campus from Christ's journey, but what we know is God wants it to happen so that there won't be any part of the county, any ethnos in the county that doesn't know about God's love for them personally. So we want to be ready with a hearted people who say, we're ready, Lord. Kindle Campus, Kindle Campus, we need you to hold on and hold strong as you are surrounding your area and making the invitation and letting your light shine and seeking to step up to fill vacancies that we have on campus right now in volunteer service, in staff opportunity. What we need is for you to engage the opportunity and say, no, this is our Lord, our territory, and we want to share God's love with it. So my challenge to you today is to do that. Start the conversation, make the invitation. One of the things that you say at Kendall Campus is we're so, such a warm community. Well then, share the warmth with others so that they can become a part of it as we're trusting God to lead us to his leaders at the right time. Church Online. Church Online, we need you to fire up and to sound off sharing Christ's message with our whole world, all the nations of the world. Did you know this? Google Analytics tell us that we have people, unique users from every nation and every territory in the world who connect with us through Church Online. That's incredible to me. And some of them, the moments they give us, the minutes they give us, the time that they give us is precious few, which means that when you're sounding off and letting your light shine, it could make a difference for somebody. What can we do as this campus to help that campus? You could invite your friends and family from another nation of origin to join you online. This happens. 
regularly, people from different parts of the world. What you do, you just invite them to go to ChristJourney.tv and then up in one corner, there's the language of choice. They can make Google Translator. They can pick the language of their heart, the language of their nation of origin. Everything on their end is going to be translated into their language. So what I want to say is, you know, they can join us from wherever. Now, more than ever, it matters that the message of God, who so loves the world, is heard in the heart. Doesn't it? Gable's campus. Ha, what are you using your muscles for? Grace upon grace, God has been so good. Is it time for us to get intentional about reaching and building a new generation of leaders for the future? Yes, it is. Professionals gifted and positioned for expanding impact. Some call them millennials. We call them people God loves and God is positioning in business across our city, in ways of influence. And I'm telling you, if you're one of them, it's time for you to step up. You may say, who, me? Yeah, like Gideon. You know, I don't know if I'm your guy. I don't know if I'm the right person. Yes, you are. And what we need is for you to lead the way to make a new day for a whole new generation to experience what you have experienced through Christ. And here's the big ask right here. On February 11th, we're launching a 5 p.m. new worship experience, giving young adults a chance to say, this isn't just my parents' church. This is my church where I can grow to be all that God wants for me. We have a core group right now of about 100 young adult leaders that are hungry to make an impact. And what we're asking for is 200 more people who will round out Gideon's 300 for a 5 p.m. worship experience every Sunday. 65 from each of our experiences, 9.30, 11, and 12.30, we're looking for to do something new and exciting for God. You're thinking, well, I'm not young, Bill. Be young at heart then. You know, here's the thing. You don't age out in the kingdom of God. You know, God calls, you step up, he uses you, and your youth is renewed like the eagles. When you obey him, he shows up. And so here's what I want to say. Find your place to serve, whatever campus you're serving on, wherever you're making your connection, and you're growing in grace and you're muscling up so that when God asks you one day, hey, what did you use all those muscles for? You won't be saying, well, I didn't do much good. I made sure that my head was tucked between my legs and I made it through the storm. No, you want to say to Jesus, Lord, I heard what you were saying. I know you were saying it to me. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life for others. Miami needs us to do that. The next generation needs us to do that. Your next door neighbor needs you to do that. Your teacher at school needs to know that somebody could be praying for him or her. I do it at a restaurant, you know, when the server comes and gives us our food and says, is there anything else? I say, well, we're just about, we're going to offer a prayer. Is there anything that we could ask God to bless in your life? And at Havana Harry's last week, the server, a guy said to me, oh, my daughter, we've been separated. She's in another land. So appreciative. He touched his heart like this. We're strangers. I didn't say, oh, I'm a preacher, so I pray. No, I just said, we're going to give thanks for our food. Is there anything I can ask God to bless in your life? The world is in need. Maybe it won't happen like that every time, but you won't know until you do it one time. 
And then God might use you to make the difference. That's the point. You're saying, well, you know, God might call me to go somewhere I've never been. He might ask me to eat some food I don't like. He might want me to hang out with somebody that I'm not really crazy about. Hey, that's the point, isn't it? That's why it takes muscle. Because following Jesus isn't about, he didn't say take up a cushion and follow me. He said, take up a cross and let me show you how to live. Like a 300 like somebody who says, I will not settle for just looking good or just feeling good. No, I'm willing to feel the pain if it means I can do some good for somebody. And this is the day for that. Whom shall I go and who will I send? God said, and Isaiah said, hey, here am I. Send me. Let's pray that together. Thank you, God for your presence and blessing in our lives, sisters and brothers in Christ. Thank you for the multiplied grace upon grace upon grace that we have tasted from you. You've been so good to us in so many ways for so many years. Some of us just now stepping into the faith, but we know that nothing is too hard for you. So we just want to say thank you. And now, brother and sister, would you say, and Lord, here am I. Use me, send me, help me, help somebody else find their next step forward. Would you say yes to God right now in that? And now maybe you're exploring the faith today. How do you take your next step to bring you close and experiencing Christ for yourself? It's as simple as a prayer like this when prayed from your heart. Jesus, forgive my sins, come into my life, lead me to be everything you would have me be. By your grace, I receive your gift. I'm turning from my way to follow your way now. Now our heads are still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand and hold it up for a while? It's a little bit dark out there, but I wanna be able to see and call and then join in prayer for you. Starting from my left, the right in the room. Thank you, sir, right against the wall. God bless you. And then in the middle, God bless you. Toward the back, thank you, sister. And on the aisle, thank you, sir. And right here in the middle toward the back, God bless you. Thank you. Another thank you. Anyone else? We're praying for one another right now. And Lord, we just thank you for every raised hand that signifies an open heart and the presence of your spirit now occupying the throne so that your will can be done and your kingdom can come. And as you do good for each one of these new brothers and sisters, we pray that their life would just become a funnel through which goodness spills out into our world as we make our prayer in your name.